Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm your host, Michael Tegos, and today I'm very happy to welcome Kyle Rudden. We'll be presenting on the topic of global sustainability and ESG frameworks and focusing on what matters most. Kyle, uh, let me welcome you to the webinar. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for your interest and participation on the webinar. I am going to start with a very brief introduction and just get right into it. My background can be summarized really in, in two eras or epics. The first half of my career, oh, sorry, the most recent half of my career, has been uh, entirely dedicated to sustainability and ESG investment research. And prior to that, we'll call it the first half of my career, was in more traditional investment research roles, mainly as a sell-side equity research analyst and had a, a JP Morgan's Global Energy Research Group. And there were also some really early and brief stints in fi fixed income research, both high yield and invested grade. Um, I joined Smart Karma to bring my particular brand of what I call alpha-centric ESG investment research to the platform. Um, I really felt it was a perfect fit for two main reasons. One, uh, I'm a staunch supporter of independent research, um, having come from the sell side. Um, and I also view Asia as kind of the next frontier of ESG investing. Still not what it is in Europe or North America in absolute terms, but in relative terms, Asia is the epicenter of current activity. Uh, and just a, a quick qualification regarding that alpha-centric thing. My view is basically that ESG investing is first and foremost investing, that you know, doing greater good is really important. I don't discount that, but without investment returns, we can't do that greater good for very long. So in other words, alpha supports, in fact, um, or sustained impact, if you will. Very quickly, uh, the agenda, the introduction is kind of a moot point. I, I just did that. Kind of broken this down into three main sections. They're all interrelated. Could have been one section, but just for clarity, I made it three. Roughly, I would guess 20%, 60%, 20%, but we'll see. Um, the first thing I want to do is just very quickly put what we're talking about into context and, and offer some basic working definitions. Uh, secondly, discuss what I call the big three frameworks, the Sustainable Development Goals, GRI and SASB, uh, in some level of detail, it'll probably be the bulk of the three. Uh, and then just kind of introduce, very briefly introduce SDG investing, um, or what's, you know, SDG alignment integration, uh, all, all basically the same thing, different terms. Um, briefly introduce it as an example of how frameworks can work together. It's, it's much too big a topic to get into too much detail on, but worth pointing out. I'll close just by really quickly reiterating some key points and then we'll get into Q&A. Last time I did one of these, I, I wound up speaking too much. So this time I kept the prepared comments brief enough to ensure ample time at the end. If at the end, anyone wants to go into more detail on anything I said, we can certainly circle back. First section, I won't belabor this one. It's kind of a necessary start to the conversation though. Specifically, I want to one, put frameworks, you know, the kinds of frameworks that we're talking about into the context of the overall ecosystem. And then two, spell out 
a few key definitions, too, in particular. The ecosystem, I really just wanted to point out that sustainability standards and disclosure frameworks, you know, the, kind, the kinds of frameworks that we're going to talk about in this webinar, are really part of a vast and ever-growing sustainability ESG ecosystem. It's the quote-unquote alphabet soup, as it is often called, which is referring to the jumble of uh, abbreviations and acronyms. It's largely subjective, and there's a lot of overlap. And that, that confusion it has a lot to do with how loosely certain terms are thrown around, which I'll get to in a second. Um, so, so that sustainability frameworks category can be broken down into standards, frameworks, disclosure frameworks, and one sustainable development framework, the SDGs. Again, not really to overthink this, but the standards frameworks, the major ones that we'll talk about are GRI and SASB, but this chart also shows ISO, the International Standards Organization, most notably um, ISO 26000, which is the social responsibility disclosure framework and um, greenhouse uh, gas protocol. Disclosure frameworks, I, you know, again, this is not exhaustive. This is really just showing the sampling. They range from kind of hybrid standards disclosure frameworks like um, CDP, formerly known as Carbon Disclosure Project, to more pure disclosure frameworks um, on the extreme end, uh, like several exchange listing rules. I just threw in um, Hong Kong and um, Singapore Exchange, but there are others. Uh, I'll address all of this in more detail. I just really wanted to break out that one section in that chart. The two kind of key definitions that I, I wanted to point out, and this is kind of wrapping up this section, are uh, sustainability standards frameworks and sustainability disclosure, aka reporting frameworks. Again, there's some overlap between the two, but there's often confusion. You know, often the two are thrown around uh, as being synonymous, and, and they're not necessarily. If you're dealing with a purely standard standard framework and a purely disclosure framework, the differences are that the standards framework this dictates what kind of sustainability data and information to report, and maybe even how to present that data. For example, you know, report annual gross greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions, which is the what part of it, in tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, which is how to present it. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily dictate how, when, where to disclose that data. For example, you know, they wouldn't, a pure standard framework wouldn't say, you know, disclose this annually in your 10K, 10Q, whatever. Disclosure frameworks are kind of the opposite. They, they dictate, again, this is pure, purely a pure disclosure framework, dictate how, when, where to disclose the sustainability data that's dictated by a standard framework. So for example, the Carbon Disclosure um, Standards Board is a disclosure framework. It focuses on how companies should disclose climate-related issues in mainstream financial reports and it doesn't just defer to, to uh, standards frameworks. It actually works with GRI, SASB, and others uh, in deciding what should be disclosed. But but the the CDS, uh, CDSB is is really focused on you know how and where the data that GRI and SBA say say a company should disclose how and where that is disclosed. So just some basic clarifications. The the main section, kind of the the, the big three global frameworks. Those are the three I mentioned before. It, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise that a group that I call the big three is comprised of the UN Sustainable, Sustainable Development Goals, GRI, Global Reporting Initiative, and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. They are the three largest generalist-ish 
global frameworks out there, but it's more than just being three largest. They, they are complementary. You know, together they, they really work as a trio, not always as a trio, but, but generally like the SDGs and GRI or the SDGs and SBO, SASB, they, they are a trifecta that, that, that is complementary, as, as we'll see shortly as I get through this. Just a quick rundown of each from the proverbial 50,000 foot or meter level. The SDGs, think of them, they're actually quite different. That's a sustainable development framework, but think of them as the triple bottom line, which by the way, if you're not familiar with the triple bottom line being environmental, social governance, um, and economic. So it's ESG plus the economic element or the financial element. Uh, the SD, SDGs represent the triple bottom line of societies, and it really is a government level reporting sustainable development framework. GRI and SBS, SASB are two company or issuer level frameworks, GRI being the larger of the two and kind of the more generalist and more widely adopted. SASB is far more investor centric by design in that sense, it's, it's great. But as I'll get to in a second, it's, it's a lot less popular, which is a global adoption at least, a lot less popular than GRI. Uh, I'm just gonna walk through um, another level of detail, not too much, but just to put it into context. Uh, I'll really just kind of hit on the main points for each. Think of the SDGs as kind of like the big overarching framework of the three, aside from it being a sustainable development framework, whereas the others are corporate frameworks, corporate reporting frameworks. A major difference is that the SDGs lean heavily, I mean, really heavily towards social and environmental issues, whereas GRI and SBA or SASB are far more balanced. The SDGs are comprised of 17 very high level goals. They have underlying them 169 targets, you know, things to achieve by certainly all by 2030, some are a little bit sooner, like 2020, 2025. And across the board, the goals really do cover every triple bottom line pillar. I mean, they address poverty, hunger, health, education, quality, energy, climate change, economics, governance issues. But again, there's this very, very marked emphasis on environmental and social issues. Regarding investor relevance, um, you know, this wasn't, the SDGs weren't designed as an investing framework per se. I say per se because it's an element of, of investing. I mean, the private sector is expe expected to fund a big chunk of sustainable development, but this was never intended to be used, you know, as an investing framework by investors like, certainly like SASB and even like GRI. However, the SDSGs are, are surprisingly and increasingly being used by, by, by issuers in, in terms of disclosing their sustainability and ESG performance right alongside GRI and to a lesser extent SASV, but most importantly by investors, um, and, and especially in the context of what has become known as SDG investing. That's the third section of this. Um, so we'll address that in more detail, but that's, that's kind of the interesting part uh, the interesting aspect of investor relevance is, you know, a few years ago, the SDSGs were great, but, but you know, had almost no relevance to investing per se. GRI, um, as said before, it's kind of the, the larger of the two corporate level frameworks. Um, kind of think of it as being in the middle, if you will, in terms of scope, target audience, you know, global adoption rates, et cetera. The main differentiator between GRI and SBSC, SASB is GRI is, is designed for a diverse audience. It's not investor specific. Um, and, and most critically, it's, it's materiality agnostic. It really leaves 
the determination of, of what's material and what to report to the issuers and emphasizes the societal level impact of corporate ESG performance. In other words, the impact of corporate ESG performance on greater society versus on the financials of that company. That's the big differentiator between GRI and SASB. Quickly, 36 high-level sustainability reporting standards, kind of the equivalent of the SDG goals. They're general and topic specific. There are a lot more underlying disclosures. It is triple bottom line based, meaning it covers environmental, social governance, and economic issues. And it is fairly well balanced. Anything, there's maybe a slight leaning towards governance, but it's, it's pretty balanced. Uh, as I've said in one way or another already, GRI wasn't designed for investing. Um, SASB was in that sense. SASB is really a better framework for investors. But when global adoption is so much lower, I mean, you're really dealing with only a few hundred companies that have adopted SASB and it's largely in the US. So for a real global investor, GRI is probably the better investor framework from that standpoint. And that is more widely adopted and you just get more, more companies reporting using it. SASB, um, again, the most investor focused in the big three, but has the lowest global rate of adoption, largely US, as I said. It is investor focused by design. It was really from the bottom up designed with investor input, with investors in mind and investing in mind. It has some opinionated views on materiality and materiality means materiality to corporate financials and to investing and materiality on a sector specific basis. It, it really is a great framework. I just wish it were more widely adopted. There are 77 sector specific standards that include both uh, reporting and accounting issues. Uh, it is TBL, TBL based like the others. Although if you look at the SASB materiality map and you can just Google that and it'll be the first thing that'll show up. It looks like an ESG framework, but ultimately if you really get under the hood, it's, it's a uh, triple bottom line framework. Um, and as I said, by investor relevance, it's the most investor relevant, but because it's the least adopted for investors, global investors looking at companies outside of the US, it can be problematic uh, because it just isn't as widely adopted as GRI. Third section, I just wanted to briefly mention, you know, as an example of what I said earlier, that the, that the, that the big three, the trio are complementary. It isn't I don't consider them the big three just because they're the, the three largest, um, but they do work together. And one example is, as I said before, SDG investing or SDG integration or SDG alignment. I mean, the, the terms SDG integration and SDG alignment imply, in my mind, something more formal. SDG investing is kind of a looser term. It really just means kind of aligning either formally or, 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 or casually the SDGs with investment decisions or vice versa. And, you know, I started, I published one, I'm going to publish a series of, of reports that look at mapping the sustainability development, the sustainable development goals to issuer comfort level frameworks. Um, I started with GRI, I'm going to do SASB next. Because doing so, the formal integration process is, is very case specific and super complex, but just you know, even casual consideration can really benefit all investors, regardless of where they stand on the sustainability ideology spectrum. The SDGs, SDG performance, country performance is very directly linked to macro and micro economic risks and, and upside. 
in that respect, the SDGs from a, from a from a SDG down standpoint, you know, mapping the SDGs to to securities, issuer securities and, and portfolios, you know, is in theory relevant to all investors. You know, it's great macro research. It's great due diligence. You know, for more altruistic minded investors, mapping in the other direction, say GRI to SASB or any corporate level framework to the SDGs can help in, you know, directing capital, directing investments to specific areas of impact, such as, you know, environmental issues like climate change, clean water, et cetera, and so forth, or social issues like poverty, education, equality. But, you know, I, I talk about them in, in terms of the process, in terms of output impact, but really the two are, they're certainly not mutually exclusive and, and you know, they're often really kind of symbiotic. That, you know, SDG integration alignment, formally, casually, can create a virtuous cycle where we're investing, directing investments towards certain SDG goals in the end winds up you know, benefiting things that are more traditional drivers of alpha, such as, you know, basically economic growth is probably the best example. It, it is, like I said, a very case-specific process. It's complex. There are a lot of localization issues. I mean, this is a real high-level overview, a summation of the risks, the upside on a macro and micro level, kind of categorized by, by, by alpha and impact. When you you know, the SDGs reflect, in effect, macro risks and opportunities, you know, integrating SDG thinking um, formally, casually, to whatever degree, you know, can aid in, in securities analysis and selection, focusing on aligning SDGs with uh, specific in, in investments can, can reduce overall risks, the ones that I just alluded to in underneath alpha, and as I said before, supports you know, desired areas of impact, kind of from the impact investing uh, angle. With that, I'll take questions. And like I said before, I, I really, in reaction to what I did last time, I, I made sure that these prepared comments were, were pretty brief so that we had time. I'm happy to go back to any of those slides and um, go into more detail. Just let me know which and, and we'll do that. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Kyle. So, I wanted to kind of touch on something very specific in that regard. So when it comes to the the adoption of these frameworks in Asian regions, in Asian markets, where are we at, do you think? What's the, what stages uh, is it in? Oh, God, that's a, that's a separate webinar. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, a, a, a Asia, Asia as a whole, yeah, I'm just going to deal with Asia, not APAC. Australia and New Zealand are somewhat different. Sure. But Asia is wonderfully diverse. I mean, culturally, economically, et cetera. But that makes things you know, ridiculously complex when it comes to that question. I think, you know, I'm trying to think of some short answers to that. You know, you know Asia, as I said in my introductory remarks, I mean, right now, Asia, in relative terms, in terms of activity and and progress is, is really, to me, the, the epicenter of the new frontier. There's a lot going on. But drivers, you know, are, are different in different regions. I mean, you may get one region like, you know, for example, Singapore, where, you know, the interest is, is you know, climate change and flooding first. Elsewhere, it may be driven by regulatory change, exchange, listing rules. You know, it really depends. You know, I, I've been looking 
pretty closely at some of the exchange, at some of the, the preferred frameworks of some of the largest companies on certain exchanges. And, and there's, there's no doubt that the dominant two are SDGs and, and GRI. I mean, just from a purely company level stand, standpoint, it's, it's GRI. And as I said before, many companies are voluntarily also disclosing SDG-related performance alongside their primary company framework like GRI. So it, it, it is the SDGs in GRI, zero, zero SASB in terms of what I've seen so far. Um, and then there are a handful of um, kind of specialty frameworks like, um, I forget the name of it, but it's a palm oil sustainability framework. There's GRESB for the REITs, um, which is the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. But, but in terms of general frameworks, hands down, the SDGs and GRI, you know, with, with SASB not even a close second. I guess Asia as a territory, uh, because of a lot of emerging markets uh, around here, it can have a bit of a ESG first approach in its investing philosophies, right? Do you think that's fair? What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, so I think perhaps a lot of the Western uh, markets need to kind of come around to ESG principles and uh, frameworks, uh, whereas some of the most emer more emerging markets in Asia, being younger, can sort of adopt a lot of those frameworks and, and philosophies upfront, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I, the way I view it is, is there's, you know, when it, a lot of times when I say that I see Asia as the new frontier, the epicenter or whatever, um, I have to very quickly qualify that with the relative absolute thing because people think I'm nuts. But in many respects, in terms of, of growth and trajectory and and kind of where Asia's, and again, this is very, very sub-regional specific, but but where Asia is as it approaches that the sort of hockey stick part of the, the growth trajectory, it, it's in many ways leapfrogging. Yeah, well, I don't want to say leapfrogging Europe or North America, but certainly bypassing a lot of the intermediary steps that Europe and North America went through. And one example is, is um, exchange involvement. Um, you know, if you look at some of the exchanges elsewhere in the world, many of them, particularly NASDAQ, are, are on top of the ESG game now. They're leaders, et cetera, and so forth. But early on, they, their, their mouths were shut and they got in late and they had less of a say in things, how, how things develop. Whereas in Asia, you know, you've got Hong Kong and Singapore and, and to some extent versus Malaysia, you know, really getting in early and, and kind of, I don't want to say dictating how things evolve, but having a say in how things evolve, which, which makes perfect sense because exchanges are perfect arbiters of progress. I mean, they sit at a critical intersection of companies and, and capital and, and uh, regulators and NGOs. So it, it, in a way, I think, I think what you're getting at, I think I, I, the way I'm terming it, I agree with, is that, that Asia, again, being sub-regional specific, but in general, Asia is kind of bypassing a lot of the middle steps that Europe and the U.S. had to go through. Asia is doing in, in or appears to be doing in years what took elsewhere here and in Europe. What took, sorry, what took dec decades uh, here and in Europe. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what I was asking, and I'm, I'm glad to see that, uh, that I'm not crazy. Well, thank you very much, Kyle, uh, for taking the time to talk to us about this very timely topic. I think if there are uh, no more questions at this time, we can wrap it up. If you have any other questions, feel free to email research at smartkarma.com, uh, and we will uh, get your questions over to Kyle.
And finally, do you note that uh, Kyle is available for bespoke research requests or premium services in, on this topic. So do contact your Smart Karma account manager in this regard. Kyle, thank you very much once again for, for being with us. Thank you and thank you everybody for your participation. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.